0: How we doing Hope City Church, good? Good to see you, my name is Jason and uh, I'm the pastor here and just excited we get to spend some time together broadcasting to Shepherdsville uh, today, a big shout out to them, everyone here uh, at South Louisville, uh, just gonna be a good time to, together and before we uh, get into the message today, I do just wanna take a moment to, to highlight two things uh, that I feel like are important to talk about right now for our church while we're all uh, together here, and and that is uh, first that we're moving into uh, what we consider to be our fall. I know technically it's not fall yet, but it kind of we kind of run on the on the school calendar, I guess, I guess if you will, and so. Um, this summer has really been an amazing time for our church and for my family. Uh, specifically, we have loved the time that we've gotten to spend at Shepherdsville. For those who maybe are not aware, we are uh, one church. Hope City Church is one church, but we are currently meeting in two locations. We have South Louisville and we have Shepherdsville, and uh, and we don't plan to stop there. Our hope, as God kind of gives us uh, the resources and the vision and the and the passion for it, is just to continue to share as much hope to as many people in as many places as possible. And and one of the ways and one of the things that that requires of us is just the ability to be places, to be flexible. And so this summer has really just been an amazing time to be able to be at some different places, get to meet a lot of people we hadn't met yet. You know, your church family at Hope City is much larger than you realize it is. It's more than just the people you see in the service that you're a part of. We have, you know, what, uh, four services, I guess, uh, every week together. So it's bigger. The family's bigger than what you know. And so um, it's just been a great time to be able to be uh, with everybody at Shepherdsville. And, you know, we'll be back down there. My family will be back down there uh, off and on, just like here at South Louisville Um, but I know some of you have been asking and when we would see each other, maybe on Thursday nights, like, when are you coming back? When are you going to be at South Louisville? I'm here now in the flesh today. This is, this is not screen. This is right here. Uh, for those at South Louisville, it is screen at Shepherdsville, but really just excited. The reason I bring that up is I just want you to know that like, we're always going to be trying to figure out how to get more places to more people to share more hope. Our, our vision and our idea is not just four walls at one zip code or one address. Uh, we, we believe you've probably got some family members and friends that live 20, 30, 40 minutes somewhere else, somebody you care about. There are people somewhere. And uh, we love what God's doing really all over the city. We love what God's doing in this area through churches Um, But just thank you. I just wanted to say all that to say thank you for your flexibility and thank you for your heart. Everybody who gives, everybody who serves, everybody who shows up and, and does what you do, that's what makes this place possible to share more hope, and, uh, and so we're just going to keep it going. So uh, our summer service schedule is just going to roll right into our fall service schedule. That's what I want you to know, so it may not change that much for you, uh, but we have four services every week. We can't even really say weekend anymore. Uh, we have a service in South Louisville on Thursdays at 7 and that's our service that, you know, we, we call our live preaching service. Uh, there, there's somebody preaching live there every Thursday at 7. Um, and then Sundays at South Louisville, 9.30 and 11. And then also our Shepherdsville location, Sunday at 10.30. So this was our summer service schedule. It's now becoming our fall service schedule. And uh, you know if you've been around here long at all, like we're always shaking it up. Uh, somebody asked me the other day about the, the backdrop on the stage. They're like, is this permanent? I was like, I mean, as permanent as it gets, you know, around here. And so this is our fall service schedule. We're excited about that. Find a service that, that works for you. And then the second thing I want you to know is that, um, and your MCs mentioned it at the beginning of service, is that today we are officially kicking off our growth group sign-ups. And you may see some people walking around saying, ask me about my group. They mean that. Ask them about their group. And they want to tell you about it because for the next three weeks, uh, we have sign-ups for growth groups. And then groups start meeting uh, the week of September the 9th. So registration is open now. You can use the Hope City Church app uh, or really maybe while you're here or at your campus today, just outside after service, there's people who want to help you. Um, But Hope City is so much more than a service, and we want you to know that. It's not a church service. We love that we have great church services. We love that we get to do that, but Hope City Church is a family, and if you only experience a service, you come in right as it starts, you leave, you know, right at the end or after the sermon, you are not getting the full Hope City experience, because what makes Hope City Church amazing is the people. It's you. It's you, and so... um, we say we say growth groups is where you go to find friends and make friends that help you grow. And so I know some of you have tried groups before and and you, maybe you liked it, you're ready to jump in again. Maybe it wasn't the greatest experience. We want to encourage you to to try a different group. Do it again. But a lot of you, statistically, we know a lot of you have never tried a growth group. And uh, and we are really challenging you, really pressing. We're g- you're going to be hearing us talk about it and seeing a lot of things. We want you to try a growth group. And we're just going to challenge you to go for four weeks. And if you don't like it, bail. Okay? We're giving you permission. If you don't like it, bail. But give it four weeks and see. And so today at both locations, you're going to have a chance after your service to go out and talk to somebody about a group, look at the schedule, look at the locations, and find one that works for you. No more excuses, no more reasons why you can't do it. Join a growth group, okay? All right? So we'd love uh, love for you to do that, all right? Now, we are in part two of a series called Break the Cycle. Break the cycle, and, and throughout this series, we're trying to answer this question. How do I stop acting like the person I don't want to be? It's a great question. How do I stop acting like the person that I don't want to be? And last week when we started this, we, we all raised our hand and we said there is a, a sin or an action or a thought or a hang up or something that seems to always show up in my life and I want to get rid of it. I know who I want to be. I, I can even kind of see maybe the person that God wants me to be, but I can't seem to get who I am and who I'm supposed to be to line up. I can't seem to get, you know, what I do and what I want to do to line up. There's always something tripping me up, holding me back, making me feel defeated, and keeping me from the life that I want to live. And we read this verse together. I want to read it to you again. It's Romans 7. But Paul, the Apostle Paul who, you know, I mean, maybe the greatest Christian ever, right? After Jesus, we'll kind of take Jesus out of the equation. But let's just go with Paul. I mean, he's, he's amazing. He's the apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, 13 books. This is what he said, okay? He said, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. How many people would, you'd raise your hand and you'd say, that's me. I want to do, I'm filled with great ideas and ambition, and I, but inevitably, I do what's wrong. And I love God's law with all my heart. I love God. I I want, it's there, heart, it's there. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind, this tug of war that's happening. This power that's inside of me that's at tug of war, it makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he really just kind of gets personal with all of us, and we can relate to this. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Have you ever looked in the mirror and and felt that? Have you ever ever looked at a scale and thought that? Have you you ever woken up the next morning and thought about last night and thought that? I'm a miserable person, right? then he asked the question, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? It's like he's already realized he can't free him. You know, he's tried that, but he's like, okay, I know I can't do it because inevitably I mess it up. So who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Then he gives us the good news. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. If we want to break the cycle in our life, if we want to break the patterns of dysfunction in our life, the answer is Jesus the bad news is that life can feel miserable when we're stuck in a pattern of dysfunction. The good news is that Jesus can free us from a life dominated by sin and death. Jesus can break the cycle. Everybody say, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus can break the cycle. So, last week was all about how we think. How we think. We read another verse, let me just show this to you from Romans 12. We just said, Paul, same guy, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs, and we threw patterns in there, of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. We all want that. I want to be that person God wants me to be. He says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way that you think. It takes new thinking to become a new person. But here's where it gets tricky is that I, I can't change the way I think or you can't change the way you think until you know the way you think. And most of us don't know the way that we think. We've never really thought about the way we think. We just are on kind of autopilot from the world that we grew up in, right? We, we, we were raised, this is us, this is our our life, and we this bucket is the world, represents the world, parents, teachers, coaches, neighborhood, siblings. and And we just kind of absorbed a custom and a behavior and a pattern of thinking and we never realized that we were absorbing it and then we get older and we start living our life and we realize that this way of thinking just comes out of us and we've never really thought about the way that we think. So I gave you this sentence, I gave you this template, this this pattern to try to help you in our prayer time and our time with God to help us think about the way that we think. We looked at this, this sentence, this template to help us. When blank, I usually blank and end up blank. This, this sentence helps us begin to think about the way that we think. When blank, I usually blank and end up blank. It helps us identify patterns that we never really realized were patterns. Maybe you would say, when I get extra money, I usually end up buying a lot of things I don't need and then end up mad at myself that I didn't save for a rainy day. It's a pattern. It's a cycle. Or maybe when I start a new relationship, I usually get overcommitted too quickly and end up pushing away all the other important relationships in my life. Pattern. Pattern. Cycle. Or when I walk into a room, I usually feel like no one will like me and end up hiding in the corner. Pattern. So hopefully you have been uh, thinking about the way that you think. You've been asking the Holy Spirit to help you identify some patterns in, in your life. Maybe you never thought before about the way that you think. Maybe this week you realized, I always think I need a boyfriend or a girlfriend to be happy. You never realized that you thought that. Maybe you realized this week, I always think I need more money to keep up. Maybe this week's the first time you ever realized that you thought that. Maybe, maybe you realized, I always think the worst case scenario will happen. Maybe you realized this week, I always think that people can't be trusted. We want to think about the way that we think. So this week, I want to continue this idea and kind of move from, from thinking to feeling. I want to talk about emotions. Specifically, I want to talk about feelings. Everybody say Feelings. I almost titled the sermon the F word because I know that we don't really like to talk about feelings. We don't really like it, most of us. Um, we, we, we definitely don't want to talk about the painful ones, the, the difficult ones. But we can't talk about breaking the cycle unless we talk about what's happening beneath the surface because there is so much happening beneath the surface in our life. I'm sure maybe you've seen the posters or the pictures before in school or library or in your office or something with the big glacier, you know. And you can see the top, and the top's big, you know. Or maybe it's a big tree. And it's big, but underneath the surface, it's even larger. The base, the foundation's even bigger. The root system is, is even bigger. Well, the same thing is true for our life. That, that what happens above the surface in our life is big, but what happens beneath the surface is, is even bigger. Let me show it to you like this: like above the surface the, the, of our life is our actions and our appearance. It's what we do, and it, it's, it's how we appear, it's, it's how we look, it's how we carry ourselves. And listen, those are important, no doubt. But beneath the surface, below the surface, is our thoughts, our feelings traumatic experiences, desires, hopes, and dreams. These are things that are happening beneath the surface in our life. And what we do is we try to break the patterns and the cycles in our lives by fixing above the surface. We say, well, I really need to stop acting that way. I really need to stop doing that. But what we find out pretty quickly is what the Apostle Paul found out is that it never seems, it never seems To work God's greatest changes happen below the surface below the surface see spiritual growth is so much more about what happens on the inside of you than than the outside of you and of course outward change is is a big deal but inner inner change is where God does the most dramatic growth because it's possible to clean up the outside but never deal with what's happening inside of you. You know this, I don't have to convince you of this. That you can you know, give your life to Jesus and you know, cuss a little less, drink a little less, smoke a little less, watch a few less movies, cut off a few terrible friends, and you think, well it's working, right? But never deal with the unforgiveness in your heart. Never deal with the jealousy the bitterness, the anger, the rage, the insecurity. And then six months, eight months, 12 months go by, and you feel like you're stuck and you're not growing in Christ. And you say, I don't know why. I, I've stopped doing all this stuff, or mostly, you know. I mean, as far as people know, I've stopped doing this stuff. But we haven't dealt with the stuff below the surface. Let me say it like this, if this bucket is our world, if this is our world, our parents, our home, our neighborhood, our coaches, our teachers, and we have been raised in this world, it's possible as we get older that we can get out of our world, but we realize that we never really get our world out of us. Does that make sense? So, so, so we're in our world, and we're, you know maybe for some of us it was bad, and we say, I'm never going back there. I'm never talking to them. I'm never going to be like them. And we say, I'm getting out of this life. I'm getting out of this world. But then as we get older, we realize that we can get out of our world. But we never got our world out of us. That we can get out of that life, but we never got that life out of us. Does that make sense? So if we're going to break the cycle, we have to talk about what's happening beneath the surface because what's happening inside of you will always come out eventually, usually at the worst possible moment, it's going to come out. I talked to a, um, I talked to a wife the other day, and uh, she was just telling me her story, and she said, she said you know, I grew up without a dad, uh, never had a relationship with my dad, and, and, um, but God was good, and You know, got connected to a great church and great youth group, went to a Christian college, met a great guy, got married, uh, beautiful family and ministry together. And she said, but for 12 years, every time my husband would walk out the door to go to work or to go on a trip, there was something happening inside of me that I assumed he was leaving me. Like he was just going to work, but I felt like he was abandoning me. She said, so like two years ago, one of my friends just made a joke about, oh, well, you know so-and-so and her abandonment issues. And she said, I was offended. I said, I don't have abandonment issues. And it took me several months to realize, oh, my gosh, I've got abandonment issues. And every time someone I care about walks out of the door just to go, like, get the groceries, I feel something inside of me that says they're never coming back and never coming back. See, that's below the surface, right? I talked to a, to a guy the other day who grew up extremely poor, and, and it drove him, and now he's probably the most successful businessman that I know. He makes millions of dollars, and we were talking, and, and, and I, said, I said to him, I said, so what, like you've got all this stuff, and you, but like what, what are you worried about? And he said, you know, It's been years now that I've had millions of dollars. And he said, but I still wake up every day because of the way that I grew up. I wake up every day and I'm afraid when I check my bank account, it won't be there. And he said, so I work harder every day to try to get more because I'm afraid that everything I've earned up to this point will be gone. And I don't ever wanna feel that way again. That's below the surface. I talked to another wife the other day, who was abused sexually as a, as a child. And, and in her marriage now, sex with her husband makes her feel dirty or ashamed. And, and as she talked about it, she did not even connect the dots that her experience as a child was shaping her experiences now in her marriage. She just didn't understand. I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why our marriage is this way. And she was not connecting what happened in her world, and what was happening inside of her to what's going on now. I mean, we could keep doing this, right? Examples of beneath the surface. I talked to another guy who, who grew up, and his dad hit him growing up until he got stronger than his dad and bigger than his dad, and he handled that problem and he fought back, and it never happened again. But now, anytime there's conflict in his life, his first thought is fight him, fight him, handle it. It says, beneath the surface. That's where it comes from. You say, why am I this way? Why do I keep doing these things? I don't want to be this person. I don't want to do this. But you keep trying to fix it above the surface. It's happening beneath the surface. And our, sh- our feelings shape our thoughts, and our thoughts shape our actions. Feelings shape our thoughts. Thoughts shape our actions. Feelings shape our thoughts. Thoughts shape our actions. So we got to talk about feelings. Let me say it like this. This is kind of our our big idea for the day. This is why it's so important. Because I do things I don't want to do because I feel things I don't want to feel. I do things I don't want to do. You do things you don't want to do. I do things I don't want to do because I feel things I don't want to feel. Feelings shape thoughts. Thoughts shape actions. Actions shape feelings. Feelings shapes thoughts Thoughts shape actions. You see the cycle? I keep acting. It's making me feel worse, making me think worse, making me act worse, which makes me feel worse and think worse and act worse. And this cycle goes on and on and on. The dysfunctional patterns in my life are my attempts to fix my feelings. Same for you. And it never gets better because every time I keep trying to fix it, instead of allowing Jesus Christ to fix it, It gets worse. See if any of these examples sound familiar. Anybody, you've ever really felt depressed about your physical appearance or your weight, and because you felt bad, you just like ate a bunch of junk food? Let me see your hand. Anybody ever done that? How did you feel after you ate all that junk food? Worse about your physical appearance and your weight, right? Right? You ever felt overwhelmed with so much to do that you decided just to lay in bed and watch Netflix all day? How'd you feel when you realized the next day you had to do twice as much than the day before? Worse. You ever felt distant from your spouse or angry at your spouse and so you decided to stay away from home? And what you realized is the more you stay away from home, the worse you feel about your marriage. And the worse you feel about your marriage, the worse you think about your marriage, the worse you act in your marriage, which makes you feel worse about your marriage. It's a cycle. I feel, then I think, then I act. I feel worse, then I think worse, then I act. And all the while, I'm stuck in this cycle, this dysfunctional pattern or patterns in my life, and inside of me, beneath the surface, is an engine that is running and driving me 24 hours a day, and most of the time, I'm completely oblivious to it. I don't realize that the reason I keep doing things I don't want to do is so I'll stop feeling ways that I don't want to feel, and so if you've ever felt that way, or maybe as you're hearing this right now, you would realize maybe for the first time, oh my gosh, that's what I do. Yeah, that's what we all do. What do we do next? How do we fix this, recognize this, and talk about this? Well, to do that, I want us to look at a few scriptures in, uh, in Psalm 139, the book of Psalms chapter 139. There's a Bible in your seat or underneath the seat in front of you. Maybe you got a sermon guide. Hopefully you got a sermon guide when you came in. There's some information on there, some page numbers you can, uh, you can use on there. There's 24 verses in Psalm 139, and we don't have time to read them all, but I do want to just read a couple of them to you. And we'll start with just the very first verse, because I think it's the best place to start. The very first verse, David, who is a, is a feeler in his own right, who is, who is wrestling with, with some of this, this is what he says in the first verse of Psalm 139. He says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. That, that's quite a statement. That, I want to read that first to get us started because it's a great place to start to just acknowledge that God knows everything about you. He knows everything, including how you feel, what you do, he knows everything about you. And what's amazing about that is you don't even know everything about you. But God does because God created you. Uh, doctors and researchers say that there's kind of four, um, four ways that you interact with the world. They call it Jahari's window, and it's got a couple of names. But they say that every person has a public life, a private life, a blind life, and an unknown life. The public life is just kind of what everybody sees and what everybody knows, you know, personality and actions. Your, your private life is what only you know that nobody else knows. Your blind life is what everybody else knows about you that you don't know about you. And the unknown life is what nobody knows. You don't know it. They don't know it. Maybe it hasn't been revealed yet. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. But what's amazing about God is that there is no part of your life or your personality or your makeup or your feelings that God doesn't know. God knows everything about you, which, just as a little side note here, is a wonderful reason to pray because he already knows. You say, well, why pray if he already knows? No, that's why you pray, because you don't have to reintroduce yourself. You don't have to really try to explain yourself. You don't have to try to make excuses for yourself. You enter into a relationship and a conversation with a God who already knows all about you. He just wants to talk with you. And so if God knows everything about you and he does, who better to ask to help you? he knows everything. So so skip to if you're reading along skip to verse 13. Verse 13 this is what David continues this and he says he says you talking about God you God made all the delicate just I just, just want to stop right here because I love saying this. You are delicate. Just in case you didn't know that, you know, guy, like yeah, you're delicate. Okay? You can act tough, but we're all just puppies who want to be petted. All right? You are delicate. This is a whole other sermon, but let me just say this. It's Just a free marriage advice for you right here, okay? Free marriage advice for any wife who's frustrated with your husband and you say, yeah, he's so stubborn, he won't change, he's so ridiculous. I agree with everything you're saying. That's how he's acting. He is delicate. Stroke that ego. Pet that puppy. He'll start softening up. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon, okay? That's a whole other sermon. Okay. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Now we already said God knows everything about us. But I but I read this and I love verse 13 and 14 because it's a reminder to you and to me that you are, we are wonderfully complex. Both statements true. Like you are complex which sometimes can make you feel like you're not so wonderful. But what God wants you to know is he made you wonderfully complex. That your complexity is not a bad thing. That your complexity is not something that's holding you back. Your complexity is not held against you. In God's eyes, your complexity is beautiful and wonderful. You are wonderfully complex. But you are complex and I am complex and you are emotional and I am emotional. And you do feel, regardless of what you say, you do feel, and I do feel. Reality is you're an emotional mess. I am an emotional mess. But what we do from an early age is we try to fix our complexity, limit our complexity. We learn very quickly that our parents and our friends and our teachers and our coaches, they want us to just chill out, move on, get over it, get it together, stop being so ridiculous. So what do we do? We don't want to be embarrassed, so we just try to avoid it, ignore it. We take any difficult emotion, any challenging experience, any painful moment in our lives, and we say, you go over there in the corner. You go over there in the closet. You just get over there and don't come out because when you come out, it makes me look bad in front of everybody else. It it makes me look vulnerable. It makes me look weak. It embarrasses me, so you just stay over there, and it does. It does for like a long time. It's just, it's just hiding in the corner, experiences in our life, things that happen to us, conversations that happen to us, and it just stays. Leaves us alone. Isn't it great? Never, never taps us on the shoulder, never brings it up, and then one day, you're sitting at your desk, 37 years old, and your boss says something to you, and all of a sudden, something begins to come out of you. Your wife says she's thinking about leaving, and all of a sudden, something comes out of you. You check your bank account statement, and you don't know where it comes from, but something comes out of you. Where'd it come from? It decided it was tired of being locked in the closet, in the corner. So it decided to come out, but now it's grown, it's got deep roots in in the surface. We go through our life determined not to be open, vulnerable, honest. We don't want that. People don't want that. That's high maintenance. So we go through our lives, and we start describing our wonderful complexity with words with words like this. How you doing? Good. Wow. I'm, I'm good. Everything good? Fine. Fine. Hey, how was work? Fine. You learned that early at school, right? You come home, and your parents say, how was school? Fine. It's fine. Everything Okay. Okay. Man, that must make you really angry. No, just frustrated. Just frustrated. Man, you're probably really sad. No, just a little down. No, I've never been depressed. Just a little down. This is how we start describing ourselves because we don't want to be complex. Complexity confuses people and makes things more complicated. But we feel so many more emotions than good, fine, okay, and frustrated. This is, this is like when you go to a restaurant and they give you a, a crayon pack and there's like three crayons in there, right? You can color in red, green, or blue, right? Like that's, that's the depth of your emotion, mad, sad, glad, right? That's what you do. But you feel so much more than good, fine, okay, and frustrated. I just, I just took 30 seconds to just jot down as many as I could think of. These are emotions that you feel, this is not the three-pack at the restaurant for the kids' meal. This is like the Crayola 64 pack. Okay. This is wonderful complexity. Disgusted, sad, depressed, dejected, crushed, and some of you—not all of these—but some of you, as you look at this list, you say, "I've never felt that before." You have felt that before. You just didn't know what to call it. You said, "You get over there. You stay over there." I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. Joyful, delighted, grateful, marvelous, rejected. So, that was frustrating. No, no, you don't feel frustrated. You feel rejected, hurt, furious, resentful, betrayed. These are just like 30 seconds worth of feelings that I could come up with because you and me are wonderfully complex. It's not a bad thing to feel these things wonderfully complex. Maybe you'd say, I'm just not an emotional person. It's not true. It's not true. God made you. And He didn't make everybody else and say, wonderful complexity. And this had to make you he's like, no, just uh, okay, fine, and frustrated. It's not the way it works. And what's interesting is that. We're going through life with all of these feelings and experiences beneath the surface. And they begin to come out of us. And even in the middle of all of that, if someone that we love or a pastor or someone that we care about were to come up to us and to ask us this question, how do you feel? We don't even really know what to say. We don't even really have a word for it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm feeling something I don't want to feel, so I try to fix it, which makes me feel worse. And I keep doing things I don't want to do, so I don't feel ways I don't want to feel. And I'm going through my life trying to avoid feeling it, and I don't even know what to call it. So if we we, we keep going in Psalm 139, we're just going to end. We're going to read this last two verses together, verses 23 and 24. David appreciates his wonderful complexity. He acknowledges that God knows everything about him, and then he prays this amazing prayer, this courageous prayer that I'm going to challenge you to begin to pray. This is what he says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And I love the anxious thoughts because it's a feeling and a, think, a thought, which is, you know, you have those. He says, search me and know my thoughts. And he says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is below the surface. This is the inner spiritual growth This is how you don't just get out of your world, but you get your world out of you. When you say to God, God, search me. I'm giving you the keys. Search me and point out anything. This is what's so funny that you can begin to believe that the longer you follow Jesus, we talked about this, right? The longer you follow Jesus, the easier it gets. That's really not true. It gets more meaningful. But the challenge to surrender to God grows because All the easy, quote-unquote, surrender happens early. You've been following God 10, 15, 20 years, still trying to grow, and you say, God, search me and point out anything, and he begins to point out stuff, and you're like, are we not done working on me yet? More work, more inner work, God. I can almost just kind of see Just visually, when I read this, it's almost like I see God who's a gentleman, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman who's not going to bust the door down and force any change in our life. I can almost see God, when we pray this prayer, and he says, well, if you're giving me permission, if we can talk about it, we see God point out, it's almost like I can see God saying, like, well, can we talk about that? Can we talk about the anger? Like, I know you've stopped Acting certain ways, but you and I both know God would say, like, that's an act. Let's talk about the rage and the anger. It's almost like we say, God, search me and point out, and God says, okay, if you want to go there, what about the discontentment? What about the fact that nothing makes you feel satisfied? What about the bitterness and the unforgiveness that you have lived with so long that you don't even realize when you wake up you are a bitter person? You just, it's the lens you see life through. Can we talk about that? See, see, this prayer is way harder than drink less, cuss less, smoke less, see less. Not that that's not hard. Some of you are trying to give up some actions. But what I'm telling you is that the actions are not the problem. You do things you don't want to do because you feel ways you don't want to feel. And God says, if you'll let me, can, can we talk about that? Can we talk about that? And sometimes God will point it out through a sermon. Maybe that's happening right now for you. Sometimes God will point it out through a conversation with a friend Sometimes God, most of the time, I believe God will point it out through prayer time, reading the Bible, when when he challenges, when he challenges us. But it's not always easy to receive those painful truths. It's not always easy to, to relive painful experiences or process challenging painful emotions. And I don't have time to really go in it, but I, I was just thinking about me and my experiences, and maybe this is just me, so give me a chance to kind of work through my experiences here. But, but I, I, when, when God begins to work through me and challenge me and press in on me and point out things in me through a sermon, through a conversation, through prayer time, I respond to, to, to that truth in a couple of very difficult, unhealthy ways. I'm just, these are some I came up with. Maybe you can relate to these. What about denial? I don't have that problem. I don't feel that way. I'm all good. Anybody ever done that? Guy's like, well, let's talk about that. What? What are we talking about? That's, you're, you're making that up, all right? Maybe somebody else says that to you. What about minimizing it? Okay, yeah, I do, I do, but it's not that bad. It's under control. It's not that awful. What, what about, let's look, at a, let's look at, what about blaming others? Well, I do, but I wouldn't if my parents hadn't. Well, I do, but if you worked at my job, you would too. If you lived in my neighborhood, you would too. Sometimes we don't just blame others, we blame ourselves, like we fall on the sword. You're right, I'm awful, I'm a terrible human being, I'll never get it together. We, don't, we can't deal with what God's trying to do, because we're like, I'll never, I'm just terrible, right? Let's look at another one. Rationalize. Well, I do, but so does everybody else. I mean, nobody ever works through all these issues. I mean, I, I got this. Well, what, what about... Overanalyze like God started working on you like four years ago, and you still haven't, like, you know, put it in your life because you're like, I'm still just trying to break it down, and, you know, what do you think about this? And you've asked like a hundred people about it to get their feedback. That's maybe mine sometimes. Distract yourself. Like, yeah, God really started working me on that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start taking some Sunday shifts. Huh. Oh, yeah, I'm going to jump into this new relationship. One more is we, we get hostile, you know. Some with God, with other people. Who do you think you are trying to, you know, God's trying to use a person to point out something and we get angry with them. These are just all ways. But if we want to fix what's below the surface, we've got to be willing to give God permission to search our heart and to point out anything. So, so to end this, I want to just give you one more sentence that we're going to work through together you know, we get, I gave you one last week. I want to give you another one, another sentence to work through um, to, to help us put this thinking and this feeling together, right? Because last week was all about thinking, and this week was all about, about feeling. And so I want to give you this, this sentence to kind of put this together. I think blank because I feel blank. I'm a little shorter, but still packs a punch. I think blank because I feel blank. If I I do what I don't want to do because I feel ways I don't want to feel, I've got to be able to write in a word on this line. Just being able to answer the question, how do you feel? Maybe you would say, I think I need more money because I feel empty. Maybe you would say, I think I need a drink because I feel stressed. Maybe you'd say, I always think I need a new job because I feel unappreciated, but now that I'm thinking about it, I've felt unappreciated in every relationship and job I've ever had in my life. I think I need a new spouse because I feel ignored. I think I'm not good enough for a good relationship because I feel unworthy. I keep doing this, right? I think blank because I feel blank. This is beneath the surface but this is where change happens. So how do you feel? How do you feel? The first answer is probably the safe answer. I'm married to a, a, an amazing woman who, when we begin to have these conversations, she'll like, say, how do you feel? And I'm like, uh, or, you know, what, what emotion? And I'm like, uh, you know. Confusion. She's like, "That's not an emotion. (laughs) What emotion? What emotion do you feel?" I'm like, "Okay, you know, just that first one's the safe answer." How do you feel? What is in you? What happened to you? What is stored up inside of you that keeps driving you to do the things you don't want to do? Let's go to Jesus to find freedom to break the cycle of feeling the way we don't want to feel. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you sent your son to the cross to die not just so that we could be saved, but so that the curse of sin... And death and darkness could be broken off of our life. And so, God, maybe today we feel like a miserable person because we cannot seem to stop doing the things we don't want to do. God, we look to Jesus as our solution and as our answer. And that the Holy Spirit would begin to help us to reveal thoughts and feelings that have been swept away, locked up, hidden somewhere, God. Begin to pull those out and help us and lead us on the path to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.